Hello fellow adventurers and welcome back to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. Good morning everyone, it's 5am where I'm living and I'm enthusiastic and hyped about this new episode. Uh, I use this quiet morning hours to record the second part of this mini-series about card drafting. Um, and if you missed the first part, I would recommend that you listen to episode 28 before you listen to this episode here. Um, I talked there a lot about the fundamentals of drafting and will probably reference some aspects in today's episode. But today we are going a little bit more into the details and look at some very spicy games. But before we dive into the games, let me briefly summarize what we have talked about last week and maybe some categories I want to analyze in these games today. So last week I talked a little bit about card drafting as a mechanic from a more general point of view, from a designer's perspective, I would say. We defined drafting as a resource distribution mechanic that splits a pool of distinct resources as evenly as possible between a group of players by each player uh, taking one item in a turn. We also talked a little bit about uh, what makes drafting fun and I tried to distill a few aspects of drafting that uh, really triggered something within me when I play them. And the first one was uh, that there's a lot of strategy involved in this game and that your choices really affect what the other players can do because their choices are reduced. And this effect is even intensified uh, due to the fact that often the information are hidden. So what your pick is hidden and what is available is hidden to some degree. And um, another aspect that I really like it uh, from a designer's perspective is that uh, a draft is somehow self-balancing. Uh, We also talked a bit about uh, strategies in drafting, um, about the concept of uh, opportunity costs, of hate picking, um, and the more deeper strategies like uh, hook and cut or that you try to wheel a card around the table. But also um, we touched some challenges with drafting games, um, that they are very complex in the beginning and that they can be daunting for new players. Um, And they often come with a very high learning curve, which um, adds a lot of fun and replayability um, for experienced players. But it also creates a huge difference in the chances to win between experienced players and new players. And drafting, of course, is a time-consuming mechanic, at least if you compare it with something like just dealing the cards to every player. And it has some problems with low player count, but there are some solutions, we will talk about them today. And then we also talked a little bit about different possibilities of drafting, different methods of distributing cards. So the first one was um, passing a pack of cards. So you get a pack of cards, uh, choose one card and then pass it to the player next to you. Um, another option is that um, all the cards are on a display on the board and you just take a card from it. Uh, everyone sees it, the information is not hidden um, and then the next player uh, takes his turn. And we also touched some less frequently used methods of drafting where you um, blind draw and then choose or um, the mechanic called I split and you choose. 
And that is pretty much what we talked about last week. And today we are going to analyze a lot of different spicy games. And um, in order to do that, I thought about which information I would like to collect um, to be able to compare the games later. And therefore I thought about a little framework which I would like to um, introduce before we go into the analysis of the games. First of all, I'm interested in which components are drafted. Even if the episode here is called card drafting, of course there are other components that could also be drafted in games. For example, dice drafting is a completely separate mechanic. Um, I'm assuming that most of the games I'm analyzing here use cards as the main components, but maybe I stumble across um, some other games that use drafting as a mechanic as well, but with other components. I think we could still find some ideas um, in these implementations um, that could uh, help us uh, for card drafting mechanics as well. The second aspect that I wanted to research is what do the components represent. So um, for a better classification of the games, I wanted to record um, what the components are. So are they monsters, are they spells, are they powers or are they just some form of victory points? or whatsoever and then i was uh, interested in the pool so um, as i explained last week for me the games where the pool is hidden um, and the decisions secret are the most exciting games but still there are some really good games where the complete pool is revealed Um, and that's why i wanted to distinguish between the games uh, where the options for all players are revealed hidden or at least partly hidden Uh, That also affects the next point on the list, um, the knowledge about the opponent's choice. In some games you have no clue what the opponent picked, Um, in other games you have at least partly knowledge about it because you can guess what he picked um, or sometimes it's completely revealed and um, known to everyone what each player picked. As part of my framework I also wanted to look a little bit deeper into the pool of cards so um, I wanted to check how the pool is constructed. Uh, Sometimes you use the entire set of cards that are available to draft, uh, but sometimes you build some kind of pool from this set so you have a subset that you then use for the drafting portion. And then is the next question, if this constructed pool from which you draft is used entirely or only some part of it. That means if everyone starts with a hand of 10 cards and picks one card from it, uh, will that go uh, around the table until all the cards are distributed or will only will you only pick five cards and the rest will be discarded, for example? Um, and of course, I was also um, interested in the pool size and the number of picks that every player makes during a turn. And um, I also wanted to know if uh, a lot of games use some kind of restrictions um, of the picks. The question here is, do you leave the choice to the player between all of the cards he has um, available? Or does he need some kind of uh, resource, uh, gold or mana or whatsoever, um, to pick a specific card in the pool? Um, the next point is a little vague, but for me, drafting games can only be as good as the synergies are um, composed within the set. And that's why I also wanted to highlight the synergies of um, each game that I researched with uh, this category of synergies. 
And at the end, I also wanted to um, talk about what the special feature of this game is, something that we can learn from it as a um, as a game designer that is maybe different to to the other drafting games. That means for each game that I researched today, I at least collected the information about um, components drafted and what do the components represent. Um, is the pool hidden or revealed? Do you know the opponent's choices? How large is the pool? How is the pool uh, compiled? And how do you use that pool? Do you use it completely or only part of it? Um, how many picks do you make per turn? And are these picks um, restricted in some kind? And then how many rounds do you draft and with how many players can you play that game? And then I have the question how the synergies in the set work. And the special feature, so what can we learn from that specific game? So this is my framework. Um, I hope it is. it sounds interesting for you. I also talk a lot about the games in detail, about the rules and the specific cards in these games. But... This framework is something that I used for all of the games that makes them to some kind comparable at the end. Okay, that's it for the theory, but now let's dive into some juicy games and let me tell you what the best drafting games, designs and concepts are that I came across. The first game is Sushi Go and Sushi Go is probably the simplest drafting game currently on the market. Um, they call it a pick and pass game, but it is one of the first games people will tell you uh, when you ask what their favorite drafting game is. It is a 15-minute game for two to five players in which your goal is to pick the best dishes at a sushi restaurant. The goal is really to pick the right combination of cards and block the combinations uh, your opponents are going for. So hate picking is a thing in this game. Uh, the game consists of uh, three rounds in which each player gets a hand of cards. And in a turn, everyone picks a card and then they are revealed simultaneously. That means you know what the other players picked and the cards stay revealed on the table. So you always see the kind of strategy that they are going for. So once you uh, picked a card and then revealed it simultaneously with the others, um, the remaining cards from your hand are passed to the player to your left. Um, and then the round ends once all the cards from the hands are distributed among the players. And at the end of each of the three rounds, uh, players add up their points that they gathered on the board. Um, and the interesting aspect about Sushi Go is that each card is scored differently depending on the other cards that you have drafted. That is also where the synergy of the game comes into play. So what you really try to do is to pick the right card combinations. For example, nigiri goes very well with wasabi. And the good thing in Sushi Go is that the information about possible card combinations is written on the cards directly with little notes. And this really helps newer players to get into the game easily. So now let's go over some of the cards and their combinations. So let's start with nigiri. Nigiri are worth points equal to the number on the card. And then you have wasabi, which triples the value of one nigiri. So, but therefore to get this bonus, you need to play a wasabi card first and then later during a turn, play a nigiri card on top of it. Wasabi by themselves are worth nothing. That means you create some kind of risk by picking it 
because you a don't know if you will see another nigiri and b your opponents know that you need a nigiri um, and have from now on a very high incentive to hate pick any nigiri card from you and tempura is uh, similar because it is worth five points for each pair but again it is completely worthless if you end up with only one Sashimi is worth 10 points for each set of three and otherwise, again, worth nothing. Dumplings grow in their value f uh, the more you can get. The first one is worth one point, the second is worth three points, the third is worth six points and so on. From these few examples, you can already see that it is always very important to uh, have an eye on what your opponent is doing because you have to adjust your drafting strategy Uh, by deciding what you are going for and also what cards you need to hate pick in order to prevent him or her from getting too many points. Marky rolls are a bit different. Uh, the player with the most marky rolls earns six points. That means you are really incentivized to only go into this strategy if you can have the most. If more than one player tries to get the most Maki, that can be devastating because you need many cards to get the six points. In the best case, you only want one more Maki than the player with the next most. In order to achieve this, you must remember how many Maki are in the pool. And then you have a nice card, the putting cards. Um, they are not scored until the end of the last round. And um, the player with the most putting cards gets six points and the player with the least loses six points so once a round ends you add up your points um, and then discard all the face-up cards the exception is that putting remains on the table and then each player gets a new hand and the game is repeated but now there is a nice special card in this game that messes with the drafting aspect of the game the card i'm talking about um, are the chopsticks They are drafted like normal cards and put on the table like normal cards, but they do not give any points at all. On any future turn, you may use the chopsticks to call out Zushi Go before the cards are revealed. And then you are allowed to take a second card from the hand and put the chopsticks back into the hand. This is pretty much saving one pick for later. There's one important rule if you want to use a similar effect for your drafting game um, and that rule is that you can only use one chopstick per turn. That rule helps to prevent a player from picking too many cards from a single pack. And that's it for Sushi Go. At the end of course the player with the most points wins. And if we go through the framework um, quickly we can see that uh, the components that are drafted are cards um, and they represent sushi dishes like nigiri or wasabi. The pool is hidden, but the opponent choices are revealed after the pick simultaneously. And the player board is always visible. The entire set is, contains 108 cards. And from that set, um, the pool is compiled by uh, 10 cards for two players, 9 cards for three players... 8 cards for 4 players and 7 for 5 players for each player um, per round. During the draft, the entire hands are used. All of the cards are distributed from the hands. Um, and each player is allowed to make one pick per turn 
with that exception for the chopsticks. And there are no other restrictions of um, cards that you are allowed to pick. The game can be played with two to five players and um, is divided into three drafting rounds. The synergies really come from picking card combos. They are either very specifically written on the cards or contain of multiple copies of the same cards. So what is special about this game? What can we learn from SushiGo? For me, it's really um, that you do not need many different cards to create a lot of different strategies. SushiGo really is the most accessible drafting game and it only uses a dozen of different cards or so and still allows a lot of tactical depth. The game is also very easy to learn due to the instructions that are directly printed on the cards. And what I also um, like about the game is that you can mess around with the drafting rules um, with the chopsticks that allow you to save a pick for later. And one aspect that I learned from SushiGo is that hate picking becomes more relevant when opponents' draft choices are known by everyone and uh, visible during the entire game. Okay, that's it for SushiGo. Now let's come to the next game, um, which is Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders is a competitive game for two to seven players that can be played in around about 30 minutes. It is a fast-paced and simple drafting game about building a civilization. It consists of three different rounds of drafting followed by a final scoring phase to determine which player has collected the most victory points. Um, players take turns choosing cards to increase the strength of their armies, um, to build civilian structures and scientific structures, and to construct their wonders in order to collect more victory points than all the other players. Each player gets a board that represents one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and each board is different and grants different bonuses. The game then is divided into three ages, which are the three different drafting rounds. Each round uses a unique and distinct deck of cards to draft from. And these, these cards are um, always the same. And there is a huge Roman number on the back of the card to identify to which pile they belong. That means the pool of cards from which you draft is always the same. However... These cards are randomly distributed into hands, which are then passed around. So players are aware of the total pool of resources, but are limited in what they can choose during each stage. Each player is dealt seven cards before the turn starts, and then the actions during a turn are taken simultaneously. Each player must choose a card, then take an action with it, and then pass the remaining cards to the next player. There are three different kind of action that you can take with a card. You can play that card to build a structure or you could build a stage of your wonder by putting the card face down below your wonder board or you can discard the card to earn money. If you want to use a card to build a structure, you must pay its resource cost. Except for some cards that uh, do not have a resource cost, these cards then can be played for free, of course. If it costs money, you have to pay that amount. If a card costs a resource, you must either be able to produce that many resources or buy these resources from your neighbors. 
You gather resources from your wonder and from specific resource cards, which you um, also have to draft. To purchase a resource from your neighbor, you have to pay money to your neighbor. Um, and in general, these resources are not consumed. That means you do not have to pick them over and over again, but you need to build a certain amount of them in the beginning of the game. And you will typically not be able to build um, enough resources of all kinds, so you need to specialize in some way. Starting from age two, some of the structures can be built for free if you already have a specific structure from the previous age. This is where synergy kicks in. To highlight these synergies, they are um, written on the cards directly. Typically, the buildings that can be built for free in the future are specifically mentioned on a card. Uh, and in general, there are a lot of icons in the game um, that help to simplify the game rules. In most cases, when a card is chosen, um, as mentioned, it is to revealed and then visible to all players. So players have a good idea of what other players are drafting and which strategy they are going for. So you play with a completely revealed board. The result is that, like in Sushi Go, hate picking becomes a far more important strategy during the draft. Seven Wonders is very, very good in achieving the right balance between drafting an optimum strategy for yourself and hate-picking to weaken the optimum strategy for your opponent. In my eyes, there are two reasons why Seven Wonders achieves this balance so nicely. The first one is that in Seven Wonders, the aspect that you have neighbors in a draft is also incorporated into the game itself. The other players represent the countries next to yours. And you can only fight and trade with your direct neighbors, not the other players in the game. That means you really, really feel the weight of your drafting decisions in both ways. On one side you have hate picking, but on the other side you want your opponents to pick specific cards because you, as a neighbor, would later benefit from those cards. For example, resources you would later be able to get access to by trading with your opponent. The second reason why Seven Wonders is so nicely balanced is because there is a mechanic which allows you to spend or discard cards for a fixed basic effect. For example, to upgrade your wonder or to earn money. And you do that instead of playing the card. That means you do not get the effect that is written on the card, but another basic effect. And what that means is that the game rewards you just a tiny little bit for hate picking. It is just enough encouragement to hate draft because you can still use the cards uh, that do not fit into your strategy. I really love that small mechanic and it is very impressive how this mechanic affects hate picking, which on the first view is something completely unrelated. Another very interesting aspect of Seven Wonders is that the draft is iterative. Players first draft from a set of weak cards, then once all of these cards have been drafted, a new set of stronger cards is used in the second age, before the most powerful cards are available in age 3. There are even complex synergies between those three pools. For example, weaker cards in the first pool make acquiring more powerful cards in the later pools easier. This mitigates some of the problems drafts have with varying card powers and reduces the element of luck. By having different pools from which players draft, you as the designer can better control the experience your players will have during a draft. At the end of every age, 
in Seven Wonders, military conflicts must be resolved. And the military strength is represented by um, a number of crossed sword icons on your cards. You then earn victory points for each neighbor that has fewer military points than you and lose victory points for each neighbor that has more military points than you. And then at the end of the game, when victory points are calculated, the scientific buildings grant bonus points, similar to how it is measured in Sushi Go. For example, you gain seven points for each group of three unique different research symbols in your structures. And you gain points for each symbol you have multiples of. It feels a little bit like building poker hands because you're going for multiple cards of the same type or for specific number of different types like a street. Um, and it's also pretty much the same how it is um, done in Sushi Go. Another aspect of Seven Wonders that came up on Reddit when I asked for um, the favorite drafting games of people was that Seven Wonders incredibly well handles downtime. Because no matter how many people play the game, you always have something to do and you do not have to wait for other players. And that is something that is not only true for Seven Wonders, but that is something that is true for drafting in general. That is a huge benefit of drafting. Um, of course, sometimes you have to wait for slower players until they have made their pick. But typically, you still have something to think of. For example, you can think about your long-term strategy or you can try to remember um, the cards that are still left in the pack. So in general, one can say that Seven Wonders is a great drafting game. It has a 7.8 rating on BoardGameGeek and... Um, only a weight of 2.3. That already shows that the game, like Sushi Go, is not super complex, but yet allows a lot of different strategies, making the game accessible for a huge audience. So before we go to the next game, let's quickly go through the framework. So the components that are drafted in Seven Wonders are cards, And they do represent structures um, that give you resources. They do represent victory points, science structures and military power. The pool is hidden, but the opponent choices are revealed and they remain visible on the board. The pool size is uh, seven cards per player per round. And the pool is compiled of three fixed sets for the three ages of drafting um, from which the hands are built. And you use the pool almost entirely, but only until two cards are left in the, in the pack and the last card is discarded. The picks are not restricted, but the cards require you to use some kind of resource to play them and to use them for their full potential. And the number of rounds is fixed, so you play three rounds, representing the three different ages, and the game can be played with two to five people. The synergies in the game come from cards that, for example, allow you certain buildings for free. The synergy also comes from uh, the resources that are required to play certain cards, and from science buildings, for example, that go up in value if you combine them in a specific way. So what makes Seven Wonders special? What can we learn from this game? So I would say if you add a mechanic that allows you to discard cards in order to get at least some value from cards that do not fit into your strategy, that really enables hate drafting um, and it becomes more of a thing, which can be a good thing, but 
can also be a bad thing depending on how you want your game to be designed. Uh, the second thing is that having a special relationship with your neighbor, not only during the draft, but also during the other game phases can be very interesting and it has a huge influence on the decision making during the draft. And the third thing we can learn from Seven Wonders is that highlighting card combinations on the cards itself can be a great way to reduce the complexity for newer players. And that's it with Seven Wonders. But the next game has one or two things in common because the next game is Seven Wonders Duel, the two-player variant of the game. It has a lot of similarities but also some differences. It's not an expansion or so, it's a standalone game. And in the beginning of the game, you place four wonders randomly on the board, and the first player chooses one wonder. Then the second player chooses two wonders, and then the remaining one is given to the first player again. Then you do the same procedure again with the other player going first. And at the end, now each player has four wonders. But this is not the actual drafting portion of the game. Before you start drafting, you need to build the cardboard layout. Believe me, this is completely different from how other games approach drafting and a drafting pool. First of all, you randomly remove three cards from each H pile. You again have three different H's in this game. Um, and then you randomly add some guild cards to H pile 3. But this is not the important aspect. Then you distribute the cards on the board following a specific pattern shown on the back on the, of the rule books. The cards are somehow stacked on top of each other in a very specific way. It reminded me a bit of Mayong when, when I first saw it. It is a bit difficult to explain without a picture, but imagine a kind of pyramid with the different rows. The top row consists of two cards and then the second row consists of three cards that cover the first row by 50%. And the third row has four cards overlapping the second row and so on. The row at the bottom has six cards and is not covered by any other cards. In addition to that strange cardboard layout, some of the cards are face up and others are face down. That means you have some knowledge about the pool, but only an incomplete one. The patterns for the other ages look a bit different, but apply the same principle of cards covering each other. And then instead of picking simultaneously from a hand or a pack of cards, players alternate their turns and choose one card from the layout. The rule is that you can only pick cards that are completely uncovered. That means in the beginning you are only allowed to pick from the bottom row of the pyramid. And when you take a card you must use it immediately in one of three possible ways. The first option is to construct a building by paying its cost and placing the card in front of you. This is very similar to how Seven Wonders works. Buildings grant you resources which you can spend on that turn. They are again available next turn, but instead of paying resources from your opponents, which is no possibility in Seven Wonders, you can buy resources from the bank by paying gold. However, the resources gain more expensive the more your opponent 
already has from that specific resource. There are a few differences in how the military and the science work though. Military is shown on a progress bar and each military symbol you drafted pushes the military pawn into the direction of your opponent. If you cross a certain line, your opponent loses money. And at some point, the opponent loses the game completely. Though winning by military is one of the different winning options in the game. For science, you still have to collect the same science symbols. But once you found a pair, you immediately can pick one of five progress tokens and keep it. These tokens provide you with unique benefits during the game. And if you ever manage to uh, gain ownership of six different science symbols on your cards, you immediately win the game. This is the second way of winning the game. And instead of using the cards to construct buildings, you can also discard them to gain money from the bank or use them to build a wonder. So that's pretty much the same three options that you have in the uh, Seven Wonders base game. And once you used a card, you have to reveal the cards of the layout on the board uh, that have been hidden before, but only if no other card is laying on top of them. And after all the 20 cards in the play area have been used, the round ends. And at the end of H3, if no player won by the military or science victory possibility, uh, then the victory points are calculated and the one with the most points wins. Let's go quickly over the framework. The components that you draft in Seven Wonders Duels are cards and they represent structures um, that give you resources, victory points, uh, military power or science. Uh, the pool is completely visible as a layout on the table, but some of the cards are hidden and will only be revealed over time. So you don't really know what options you give your opponent once you pick a card that reveals uh, another card that was hidden before. Opponent choices are also uh, revealed and remain visible on the board for the entire time. The pool size is um, 20 cards per round but not per player this time it is for both players together the pool compilation happens um, because you have three rounds from a standard set of cards and um, from which three cards randomly are removed per age and you pick all of the 20 cards until all the entire display is distributed and you only pick one card per turn however there are some card that you allow you an extra turn which means that you sometimes are allowed to pick two cards in a row. The picks are restricted in some way because um, you are only allowed to pick the cards that are completely uncovered and then you have some other restriction that is similar to the one in Seven Wonders um, that means that you need some kind of resource to use the cards for their full potential uh, to build the constructions. The number of rounds that are drafted is fixed. You, know, you play three drafting rounds for three different ages and each round uh, brings another pattern to the table. The number of players is fixed with two and um, the synergies are more or less similar to the ones in Seven Wonders. 
So what is special about the game? For me, it really is the way Seven Wonders Duel handled the two-player problem of drafting. It works so well and is very elegant. There are other ways out there um, how drafting games try to counter the low player count problem, but the mix of revealed and hidden cards in Seven Wonders Duels is brilliant. It works really well for two players. It adds a lot of tension to the game. For example, when you have to decide between the risk and reward of picking a card that reveals another card for your opponent. It could be the card that your opponent was looking for the entire time. And so you have to make tough decisions that are really interesting and create some tension in the game. The next game is a great example of using a resource during a draft. Elysium is a game of set collecting and combinations in which players recruit cards representing heroes, items, powers and gods. And these cards have many different powers and the goal is to create powerful combinations to earn as much gold and as much victory points as possible. Um, and each card belongs to one of the eight families and has a level between one and three. The game consists of eight different family decks. Um, they are distinguished by a unique color of which you randomly pick five to form your drafting pile in the beginning of the game. Uh, these five are then shuffled together to form a single face-down deck. And now you deal face-up a number of cards equal to the number of players times three and then add one more. So that means for a four-player game that would be 13 cards. For a three-player game that would be 10 cards. Each player then starts the game with four gold and a number of victory points equal to the turn order position. And for differently colored pillars. And these colored pillars are your resources. I will explain in a minute how, how the resource works. In addition to that, um, also four quest cards are added to the board. The family cards uh, that are drafted give you powers and victory points, but they only give you victory points once you transfer them into legends. But if you do that, they lose their actual power that influence the game. The, that means the challenge really is to decide which cards to acquire and how long to exploit their abilities before you transform them into legends. Each round in the game consists of several phases. In the first phase, um, if there are cards in the drafting area that haven't been picked in the last round, you replace them with new cards from the pile. So the entire layout is completely uh, swapped. Uh, this is of course not relevant for the first round. Then in the second phase, um, each player takes a turn. You can either take one of the four quest cards or a family card from the drafting area. And to take a card, you need to have the colored pillars that match the resource symbols on the family cards. And after you acquired a quest tile or a family card, um, you have to choose and remove one of your colored pillars from the game. It doesn't need to be a color that you just require to pick a card. It can be any, but you thereby reduce the number of cards that you can pick in the next round because you might no longer have the required resources. Uh, because when it's your next turn again, you have fewer pillars and thereby fewer colors to match up the symbols on the cards you want to draft. 
So that means you really have to think ahead. Sometimes you also have to take into account what colors your opponent uh, still has available because this gives you additional information about which cards you uh, need to pick because you are still in competition about with your opponent um, and maybe other cards that you are the only contender for. Once all players have used all of their colors, the round is over. That means every player has picked four cards and one of the cards must be a quest card and the other ones, uh, the other three ones must be family cards. If it comes to the case that you cannot afford anything with your remaining colors, you have to draw a face down card from the family deck and add it to your table as a citizen. If you didn't pick up a quest card but cannot afford to buy one of the remaining cards because the colors do not fit, you get one of the remaining quests and turn it around. It is considered uh, to be an incomplete quest. The power of the cards uh, trigger in different phases and have different effects, such as uh, gain two victory points immediately when picked up or an always active power or card can only be used once per round. Uh, one interesting card type are cards that only can be used as long as you have another card of the same kind. Uh, the cards can have different effects, but both need to be from the same card type. Once all the cards have been picked for that round, uh, you can transform cards into legends. And the quest card determines how many cards can be transformed into a legend. Um, and this one typically costs between 1 to 3 gold, depending on the card's level to transform it. And when you transform a card, it can either start their own legend or join another card. The goal here really is to collect cards that fit together. So you try to build streets and try to build uh, pairs. In general, there are two kinds of legends, uh, family legends and level legends. In a family legend, you are only allowed to place cards from the same family and you really try to get a street there. That means you are only allowed to place cards that have the same color, but they need to have different levels. For the level legends, you try to find cards from the same level, but different colors. And there are also some incentives in the game that give you more victory points um, the earlier you uh, complete a specific family, for example. The first player gains five bonus points and the second player two victory points. Um, and at the end of uh, the phase, each player then regains their colored pillars for the next round. And the turn order changes based on the quest you picked. Uh, the player with the highest value on the quest becomes the first player of the next round and so on. That means you do not only draft your powers and victory points, but also your spot in the turn order for the next round. That is a really nice concept. And after five rounds, the final scoring happens. One aspect that I also wanted to mention is that you only play five of the eight families. And um, there are some families that add other game elements to the game. For example, one family adds the Oracle. This is a place on the board in which four cards are revealed that will be available to draft in the next round. This gives you an idea of the future and can influence your picks for this round. And there's also another family that can be added to the game that adds new forms of earning victory points to the game. I really like the idea of um, adding complexity to the game by 
choosing specific families. This gives you the chance to start with the basic families and the core mechanics of the game and allows more experienced players to add more variety and complexity later on. So let's go quickly over the framework. The components that are drafted in the game are, as usual, cards and they represent um, different families, powers and quests. Uh, the pool is completely revealed and the opponent's choices are known and visible. The pool size um, contains eight families of 21 cards, of which five families are played during one draft. That means the pool is a subset of the entire set, which increases the replayability of a game. Each player picks uh, one card per turn and four cards in a round, and you play five rounds. The picks are actually restricted by a color because you have only four different pillars that you can use um, and they are all differently colored and um, the game is for um, up to four players and the synergies uh, really come from different cards that can be combined with other cards of the same type for example and you need to combine cards from the same family to earn victory points uh, and cards from the same level to earn victory points. That leaves us with the question, what can we learn from the game? I really like the idea that you give players the chance to draft something that affects unusual areas of the game. Here in this game it is for example that you have a chance to affect your turn order position by picking a quest that has a higher value. I am pretty sure that there are more possibilities to, to use uh, effects like that. The second thing that you can learn from the game is um, how to use a resource to restrict specific picks in the draft. I mean, you could easily create some cards that allow you to return one of your used pillars to the game that you can use this color again, for example. And the third thing which I think we can learn from that game is how to add complexity over time. This game, for example, does it by um, separating the pool into eight different families, um, of which you only have to choose five for a draft. That adds not only um, replayability, but also gives the players um, the chance to choose the easy families with the easy mechanics uh, for new and unexperienced players, and then add the complexity and more interesting stuff over time. So, now I have made it to talk about four or five games of my list. The problem is that there are still at least ten more games on my list that I want to talk about. And there is really a lot of stuff we can learn from these games. So, I really want to cover them. But I won't be able to cover them today because I already recorded 45 minutes. And I think this is a good time now to uh, make a cut. That also means that there will be another episode about drafting next week in which I cover all the other games. I don't really like that because I know that there are also listeners out there that um, do not care so much about drafting as I do and um, I typically want to create content that is uh, more diverse instead of talking about the same topic for three weeks. 
For next week I will probably not talk so much about the actual gameplay of the games and focus a bit more on the drafting aspects of the games so that I will be able to cover most of the games that are still on my list next week and then wrap up the topic and compare the games and draw some conclusions from all of the games that we analyzed. Until then, I would love to hear from you. You can write me an email uh, to marvin at nerdlikeaboss.com or write a comment on the website or join us on the Discord server. The link is in the show notes. And as always, I would be more than thankful for a few iTunes reviews that helps me to grow the community and that is actually a good thing. And it only takes uh, a few minutes for you. Thanks a lot and until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss.